You're listening to a brand new episode of Lehigh Insider. My name is Benor Ayambem, and today I am joined by Kanjan Mehta. Kanjan is the Vice Provost of Creative Inquiry and the Director of the Mountaintop Initiative. And so as a result, we talk about all things Mountaintop, all things Creative Inquiry. But we also learn a lot about Kanjan himself and about him as a person and what he's interested in, what gets him excited, how he ended up in the position that he's in today. And it's a very interesting conversation about impact and about ethics. And it's very interesting. I hope you enjoy it. And here is Kanjan Mehta. Welcome to the Lehigh Insider, Kanjan. Yes, delighted to be here, <laughs> Bernor. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Um, so you are the Vice Provost for Creative Inquiry and the Director of the Mountaintop Initiative. For someone who has never done any of those things, that could be a lot of words. So how would you describe, just to start off, what you do, what you're involved in? Sure. So I've been here at Lehigh for about six years, and it's an inaugural position, so I'm so glad that I'm here, and I was given this carte blanche by the previous president and provost to just create all kinds of programs that bring students and faculty and external partners and dolphins and whales together to create the future. And that's what I do now with a host of different programs where students work on all kinds of uh, ambitious interdisciplinary projects, uh, in collaboration with faculty mentors, and some of these projects are based in, here in Lehigh Valley, and some are based uh, around the world, and uh, they're all trying to change the world. Change the world, create the future. That's kind of what I what I heard you say just now. Is that what you would say is the mission of, of the programs? Yes. To change the world in some way? That's correct. In ways that, uh, I mean, it's about challenging students to, again, bring that their true, authentic selves to life, about connecting what they're learning with their values, with their passions, and to work on, uh, to collaborate with others with, with a deep sense of uh, uh, humility to solve problems that matter, to create things, whether it's new technologies, new business models, new works of art, that improve the human condition and in doing so in doing so they find themselves and they define themselves and develop their own identities and reach a level a higher level of consciousness and that's so it's as much about helping students find themselves learn how to learn work with others get stuff done as it is about not marching in place, not going after academic exercises, which they do in the vast majority of their courses, but to actually create things and implement things that improve the human condition. There is so much there, but we're going to come back to that. I'll put, a, sure. I'll put a pin there. Just wanted to give a little bit of an introduction on what you do. But before we talk more about Mountaintop and Creative Inquiry, I want to talk about Kanjan Mehta, a bit about you and your background. One thing that is interesting to me is that you're an engineer, as we've talked about. You studied electrical engineering in college. You got your bachelor's in electronics engineering from University of Mumbai. That's correct. And master's in electrical engineering from Penn State. That's right. Were you born in Mumbai or? I was born in Ahmedabad, just a short hop from Mumbai, but I grew up in India. I went, I did my undergraduate education there, and then I came to the U.S. Uh, to pursue grad school, and I went to Penn State, which I'm incredibly proud of, mm -hmm. and I uh, got my master's there. And I decided that was enough and um, <laughs> started working <laughs> for Penn State. And uh, Yeah. Yep. So you decided to come here just for education at first. Did you expect that you would stay in the, in the U.S.? Absolutely. I mean, for me, it was not about the education 
as much as it was about the degree, but it more than anything was about access to the economy, access to opportunity. It was really about the American dream. And at one point, you know, I wanted to be a tech mogul and I told my friends <laughs> that I wanted to have an office on the top floor of the highest building in New York City. And then as I, you know, as my career unfolded in ways that I'd never imagined, I realized that actually that's not what would really make me happy. Mm. I wanted to pursue a somewhat different career path. And you said that you thought you might be a tech mogul and live in a big top floor company, whatever. <laughs> so how did you, how did your life go in this direction? And then you became more interested in this, what I call it humanitarian work that you do? Sure. So I was uh, hired by Penn State to uh, do consulting for all kinds of uh, organizations within and outside the institution. I worked on a lot of different engineering projects and I enjoyed it because I was creating something new. I like building stuff. I like creating and making stuff. Uh, but I also did not enjoy it as much as I enjoyed mentoring a group of students that were working on a windmill for Western Kenya. It was incredibly gratifying in terms of like how I was contributing to improving um, uh, life for people and reducing suffering. Mm. But I also saw all the students that I worked with truly come alive because when they were working on that low-cost diagnostic device for Kenya, they didn't really care much about the grade. They did not care about you know, what their peers thought of them. They wanted to help others. They wanted to see through that social impact and that was kind of that moment of transformation for a lot of these students. And I was like, this is how learning ought to happen, where you start with purpose first and you learn as you go to solve a problem that you really deeply care about, right? It starts with that deep sense of empathy and being one with the people you're trying to work with. Wow. <laughs> so we're, we're, we're getting more into creative inquiry and mountaintop. So I want us to talk about some of the work that you do there and my first question is i was trying to trying to find a, a good angle for for this interview but there's really just too much honestly i you there's the globals i don't know if you're involved with all the different projects but there's the global the lehigh valley mountaintop summer uh what am i missing lehigh 360 i saw like six different things and within those things there are all these different projects how are you staying on top of all of this? Uh, barely. <laughs> uh, barely, but beautifully, frankly. Mm -hmm. um, mm. So in essence, probably the most important programs we have are the impact fellowships. Uh, so we have the Global Social Impact Fellowship, the Lehigh Valley Social Impact Fellowship, the Campus Sustainable Impact Fellowship, and we have a fourth program we're going to launch next spring, which is the Silicon Valley Social Impact Fellowship. Wow. So okay. the impact fellowships are mm -hmm. multi-year projects, and students make a one-year commitment. Right, okay. so it's six credits of uh, it's six credits of work, three credits in the spring semester, three in the fall semester. But then the students have an opportunity to actually work on the project on a full time basis over the summer, and really accelerate their project because now they mm -hmm. have this dedicated time, ten full weeks, where they have no distractions but work on their project, and they get a stipend to do it. And this is in the summer. In the summer, that's right, and so that is what really accelerates all these projects. And that's also when they get a lot of field work done because we have projects in Sierra Leone, Philippines, Kazakhstan, hopefully soon Madagascar. And so that's an Ooh. opportunity for students to actually go out uh, to these places and to work with our local partners that they have been working with virtually over Zoom and WhatsApp all through the year to now work with them shoulder to shoulder. 
And we don't start with problem statements. We don't start with, here's a particular technology. We start with dreams. So what's a dream? Uh, no mother should die while giving life is a dream that uh, is probably true for four or so of our projects that are focused on maternal health. And so to realize that dream, we have teams working on on, on low-cost diagnostic devices. Mm. Or Naja, who just uh, you know, took those pictures, <laughs> you know, she's Naja is part of a team that is working on a documentary to shine the light on some of the innovations that are happening in maternal health in Sierra Leone. So we start with the dream, and then we have uh, teams of students and faculty from across campus work together on advancing those projects forward, conducting research, developing new things from educational innovations to new business models to new technologies, and then most importantly, working with a host of partners in whatever locations to advance those projects forward. And mm. the central idea is that ideas by themselves are worthless. The challenge is in the execution. The challenge is in getting stuff done. And that's exactly be what is what we want our students to learn. Mm. How to work with folks, learn quickly, fail quickly, learn from failure, pick up the pieces, and keep pivoting until they have real tangible impact. Wow. Let me know if I'm missing anything from this list. But when you were speaking earlier, you sort of were mentioning like, what the what the goals are of this project and and your favorite word impact yes. has come up a lot you, <laughs> you keep saying impact 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 but you said solve problems that matter improve the human condition allow the students to find themselves but with the with the finding themselves aspect of of the mission of this of your work and of your programs how how much how big of a role is does that play in the work that you do? Like I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out how much of it is about the people involved versus the work that is being done or the impact. Like how much of it is is for your own personal development and if, if that's something that matters to you or if you try to avoid making it about the person and their own growth and using these people as tools to enhance <laughs> your own growth and personal development and mindset change, you know. That's a really, really good question. <laughs> and um, uh, the question was, you know, what's the, where's the balance between student learning and development and real impact in the world? Mm -hmm. And so in terms of the narrative, I prefer to focus really on the impact in the world because that is what draws the students in. So is it about A or B? It's really about both. But mm -hmm. I, I let the impact drive the learning or the desire, the motivation for impact drives the learning, the personal, the professional development. Mm. How can you ensure that in the students that they are thinking about it the way that you are? Is that something you think is possible? Like, how do you know that they're not just here to get a grade or to explore their own? Like, they really care about the impact, you know? Yeah, that's a great question. And I have no way of guaranteeing that. Mm -hmm. I probably don't even ha have a way of knowing that. But the proof is in the pudding and the students who actually, you know, uh, who end up staying for multiple semesters and years and walking away with a really solid set of accomplishments. If you go back and ask them, why did you get involved and what did you get out of it? They'll say, I got involved because I wanted to improve maternal health, because I wanted to convert my all the things I've learned in classroom, which are so kind of vague and I don't know when I'm going to apply it. I'm tired of marching in <laughs> place. Yeah. And here's a way for me to actually apply that knowledge is why I did this, but what they come, what what they get out of it is so much more than than the impact. Mm. Okay, let me make a bit of a turn. 
you've been doing this for a very long time. Yeah. Does it feel the same? You still sound very excited. I know you started out very excited because I'm sure it was like you found something new. This is different. This is this you said was more fulfilling for you. But after doing something for so long, I feel like it's hard to not get jaded. Does it feel the same way for you? Are you still optimistic? Are you like still like hopeful for your ability to change the world and your students' ability to do that? Absolutely. Like I come to work excited every single day and I go back like I don't want to sleep because there's so much more I need to get done. Mm. And really what makes it work is all the wonderful students that I get to work with and their energy is really inspiring and the way, you know, that aha moment, right? And I see those aha moments happen like every single day and that is what really energizes me. And, you know, honestly, yes, uh, I, I have a little bit of an... Um, uh, um, Maybe the focus on impact is a little bit too obsessive, maybe delusive. <laughs> but the thing is, I have over time seen firsthand and men seen firsthand the tremendous impact that our students and their ventures can have. And I can give you umpteen examples of ways in which simple innovations developed by undergraduate students have impacted the lives of hundreds of thousands of people. And that is what really you know keeps me going. Mm. Okay, so what is the process like of, because now you said that there's a new one's coming up in Madagascar. How do you decide where you're going to go and what kind of work you're going to do in that place and what work will be most helpful to those people? It's a great question. So, you know, our largest ecosystem right now is in Sierra Leone where we have uh, yes. five different projects and I've been working in Sierra Leone for the last nine, almost 10 years. So I've spent a lot of time mm. in country I built a lot of partnerships from UN agencies, mm. governmental agencies, to various kinds of nonprofits, industry partners, just people on the ground that run small businesses. So it's really about building this 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 network of people that you can work with, and then the opportunities for work for co-creating something emerge from that. So I'm a huge fan of um, Gustavo Esteva, and one of his quotes is that if you come to help, don't come, but if you see my struggle as your struggle come and live together and you might find something to work on. And I really like that philosophy where we don't say, let's go and plant our flag in this place, but we really take the time to build, uh, to build relationships, identify challenges, and then go after projects where we think we can, we can make an impact. Mm, so how do we identify the opportunities we work mm -hmm. in? So I can give you another example. So I cannot tell you about Madagascar because I don't know how it's going to happen, but I can tell you... Do you not know yet the work that will... Be? Oh, no, really? I don't know yet. Mm. I just know that it's a really interesting place to work and it's mm. something where we can build a strong network mm -hmm. and it would be attractive for students to engage yes. in. Yes. Uh, so let's talk about Madagascar then. How would you? How are you going to decide what the work is going to be? Sure. Uh, Philip, uh, Madagascar is likely to have more of a parks and people kind of an approach because that is not true for the other locations. And from my perspective, I'm trying to get students from all over campus interested, right? Mm. And working on big, ambitious projects. And so I have to think about how do I create opportunities for students from uh, material science to finance to mm. English and religious studies to environmental sciences and so on. And so this would be a way we can create more projects focused on climate change and environmental studies uh, in, in, in Madagascar. Mm. You've, you're mentioning um, Sierra Leone, Madagascar, Philippines, Kazakhstan. Can't help but notice that these are all 
South Asian and African countries? Is that on purpose? And I know you've, you're a self-proclaimed Africanist. Did, did the interest come before the work or is it the other way around that you started working in these places and then you fell in love with them? And why, why, why is there a concentration in Africa and South Asia? Oh, because that's where uh, the potential for impact is the highest. So by the turn of the century, by 2100, 40% of the world's people will be on the African continent, right? You look at current population in a few short weeks, uh, India is going to be the most populous country in the world. Um, the population in, in, in Indonesia is rising very quickly. It's going to be the top five in the next few decades. So that's where you have huge populations. You have uh, largest, um, just the most amount of suffering and largest set of challenges um, when it comes to the food, water, energy nexus, when it comes to access to health. And that's where we can have a larger impact. So, you know, we have projects in Lehigh Valley that are focused on social innovation and entrepreneurship here. But also you have to go where the action is and maybe the action, the potential for impact is not as much in Australia or England or France, but it's in Sierra Leone and Philippines and Kazakhstan. Mm. Lehigh is a predominantly white institution. And I imagine and I've also kind of heard that the composition of students in these programs is overwhelmingly white. Um, I don't know if that's true or not. You can you can correct me if I'm wrong, but um, does that matter to you if true? And what are some of the challenges that come with that? And if, even if it's not true, I mean, there's a lot of students who probably have never left the U.S. going to South Asia, going to Africa. I've, I'm from Africa. <laughs> <laughs> I, it can be pretty, you know, culture shock. So how do you manage that and expose these people in a way that is most impactful your favorite word <laughs> sure so uh first of all you will be surprised to learn that uh, if i look at our demographics from last year mm -hmm. uh we had about 350 students between uh, our uh, our academic programs and the month of summer experience over the summer mm -hmm. uh, and out of those 350 students about uh 48 percent are white the other 52 percent are not so we have a pretty significant BIPOC student body. Mm -hmm. uh, and we also have about 15% of our students are actually international students. Mm -hmm. So do, do those numbers translate to the specific programs that are more like the global fellowship actually than no. the Lehigh Valley? And the they don't. They don't. So actually, I see a lot of international students that are part of our Lehigh Valley projects. Because let's be honest, for some of them, Lehigh Valley is a foreign country, right? Mm -hmm. So that's global social impact <laughs> for them. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, so we actually have a really diverse uh, student body. 56% mm -hmm. uh, of our students are women. So we also have uh, mm. many more women than, you know, other fields like engineering, which don't have as many women. But, but you know, irrespective, you know, even if you actually grew up in Sierra Leone, how much do you know about challenges in rural Sierra Leone? You probably don't know as much. Right, and so we have we do, we have a, a workshop class that we that all the students in the GSIF are required to take, and all our impact fellowships are required to take. That meets once a week, and uh, we have a whole bunch of exercises uh, to help them understand the context that they are working in, they are designing for. We have in-country partners in all these places. So Kazakhstan, for example, we have students from a local university in Almaty that our students work with and they virtual team with them and connect with them once a week. And so they learn a lot about 
about that context, about the people. And we tell them the first couple of conversations, don't talk about your project at all. Just get to mm. know people and build those relationships and then you'll find ways to work together. Something else I'm really excited about uh, that is kind of uh, that came out of COVID, so it's, it's COVID good, is um, uh, a set of videos that we made uh, using a 360-degree camera that can really immerse our students into what uh, mm. what do markets and healthcare systems and the hotel you'll be staying at and little restaurants and bars. What do they look like in Sierra Leone? And you can see that in an immersive way. Uh, or you can you can put on uh, VR goggles and look around and see what these places look like and sound like. Mm. And those kinds of things, you know, a whole bunch of them help students better understand the context and you know, alleviate some of those anxieties that they might have mm. if they've never traveled to low and middle income countries before. But it's still it's still going to be a little bit of a culture shock and uh, we try our best to prepare them and then when they're in country we still you know will have uh, very regular debriefs the faculty will play a pretty active role in helping them uh, you know engage with our local partners they will uh, lead the focus groups if they're doing focus groups the first few times and so they model the kind of behavior that uh, is expected of them mm. But the workshops, the, the, the VR tours, et cetera, help them develop that cognitive flexibility and identify the unknown unknowns that they will have to consider to develop better research questions, better technologies, better solutions mm. with local partners. Let, let's talk about your favorite word, impact. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about impact, which is the, the big goal of, of your work. How... How can you know for sure that the work you do has a positive impact? How can you measure it? You can't always measure it. And mm -hmm. sometimes you don't know. I mean, impact doesn't have, there could be any, everything you do has impact. Some impact is positive. Some impact is actually negative. And so you're trying to find uh, ways in which you can create as many win-win situations, including for yourself. And so I care as much about the impact that these kinds of programs have on students themselves in terms of developing their agency, developing their confidence and so on. And then working with external partners and on like impact in terms of, you know, measurable, tangible impact on quality of life, et cetera. There are ways to do it. Mm. And uh, I, mean, I can give you an example. <laughs> if that would okay, help, but, okay. Yeah. If, you, if you have an example, let's, let's hear it. Okay, so let's take the case of um, a team of Lehigh students that uh, worked in Cambodia okay. to help... Um, uh, that worked in Cambodia with a nonprofit called World Hope International that we have an MOU with. This is with. a real thing. This is a real project, okay. yeah. <laughs> so here's a real project in Cambodia where we had a bunch of our students, I remember the names, Sam Evers, Lauren Fosbanner, uh, <laughs> Tim Predmore. So they Shout worked out to with, them. Yep, yep, yep. So they worked with um, a nonprofit called World Hope International in Cambodia. And uh, this is a project that I brought over from Penn State around uh, mushroom mm. production systems. And now, X years down, like four or five years down, the project has a life of its own. They have about eight to 10 full-time staff, and we have about 300 farmers, mostly women, that produce mm. uh, like about five to 6,000 kilos of mushrooms on a monthly basis in Cambodia. So if you go to Phnom Penh and you have a dish that has mushrooms in it, there is a one in two or one in three chance that those mushrooms were grown by farmers who got their initial designs, et cetera, from Lehigh students. Wow. And that's real impact measured in a certain way. 
in terms of how it improved quality of life for those 300 farmers, improved food security, reduced mm. migration to the cities and mm. so on. But those metrics are very different than a project in, in uh, Sierra Leone that is about improving access uh, to maternal health mm. and reducing the incidence of um, uh, or managing cases of preeclampsia, right? It's going to have completely different metrics. Mm. So the human impact, the metrics of that human impact vary significantly from team to team. Okay. And sometimes certain things are not measurable, but they are tangible. Like there is no, like how do you measure a mother's love? Like there is no way to quantify it. And so sometimes we see this quite a bit with projects in the arts, humanities, where it's really more about you can see the difference, you can tell the difference, the people will talk about how important this is to them and how it has transformed them, but measuring it can be really difficult. So while we're talking about impact, uh, smarter people than me have done studies, research on volunteerism, if if that's an appropriate word to qu quantify um, your work, but like stuff like that, is that? I would not use would not the word use volunteerism, volunteerism at all. Mm -hmm. I would really, um, yeah. I mean, the word volunteering itself actually makes me very uncomfortable. Yes. But at the same time, uh, I mean, you're getting at some really important questions mm -hmm. around equity and privilege and, mm -hmm. um, you know, working with people in a, in a harmonious, self-determined manner. So mm, okay. please go ahead. So I'm, I'm going to bring up some critiques that I think might apply to sure. this circumstance and you just give me a, a response if you have one. One critique of work like this, yeah. I won't use the V word anymore, but work like this is that sometimes the volunteers who come in are inexperienced. But when you have students coming into a country with the intention of like working on maternal health or working on um, curbing food insecurity and the volunteers are inexperienced, in the end, it might cost more to the community, cost more time, cost more money, more energy than the volunteer has expended or then is required of the work. I don't know, it's getting kind of convoluted there, but do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, it is. And so I, I see that happen quite a bit with like the short-term missions and the mm -hmm. classic volunteering things or the service learning things. And service learning could mean m many different things. And I personally do not use the word service ever. Mm -hmm. It's really about social innovation and it's about co-creating solutions. So can that happen with our project? It absolutely can. And, uh, you know, there could be harms. And I, you know, so we, we do our best to make sure that we work with the right entities. So when we, when our teams are over there, they're not randomly going and doing things that they feel like doing, but it builds upon, you know, multiple semesters and years of work that have been, have gone into develop the, developing these honest partnerships um, over time. And uh, ultimately our goal in that setting is to expand choice, mm. right? So that's where we focus not on communities, but focus on markets and focus on systems. Mm. So, I mean, this is something we can talk for a really long time. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I acknowledge your concern yeah. and I absolutely share your concern, but uh, on, a, on a different, uh, you know, uh, setting, we can spend how much of a time you would like talking about how we try to address these kinds of issues. Uh, by building appropriate um, partnerships with in-country partners. Mm. Well, you've done a lot of work, <laughs> 30 different programs right now. Um, this might be difficult to answer, but, and you have to, don't, don't cough out. <laughs> okay. What are you most proud of, of, of all the work that you've done? 
I mean, I'm incredibly proud of really of all my students over the years that have gone on to do really remarkable things and they would attribute, you know, their time uh, thinking about a completely different context, a completely different sets of challenges as the time that really got them to think, change their mindset when it comes to creative problem solving and critical thinking and finding your purpose. All kinds of you know professionals that uh, continue the, the the legacy of impact and changing lives for the better through a vast area of organizations, right? So impact doesn't just happen through nonprofits or social enterprises. You need just as many smart people committed to impact in the government and in the um, uh, in in large organizations and so on. Mm. Well, that, now let's go back to talking about Kanjan. So you're from India. You went to university in India. What was it like living in India for 21 years? How different is that from being in the United States, especially since you've been to so many other places? What is unique about India? I, I mean, I, I uh, had a wonderful time growing up. I grew up in a typical middle-class family. My dad's an engineer. Everybody in my family is an engineer. You have to have an engineering degree to belong in the family. But I, and I, I got an excellent uh, education uh, in Mumbai, you know, got my four-year degree, and um, but I did struggle through. Yeah, I did struggle through my education because most times I could not see the point of the education. I saw the point of the degree that would give me access to opportunities, mm. but mm. the education itself was a very real struggle for me, um, and that continued into grad school as well. But mm. I don't know if I, you want me to talk about that. I do, absolutely. Because <laughs> actually, a question I was going to ask is, you just seem so career-focused, career-driven. And I was really curious about where that came from. And now you're saying that you need an engineering degree to belong. I don't know if that's in your family or in oh, Indian in the society. Mm. Yep. Um, but I, I am curious about if you felt pressure in that, from that or if you were always interested in engineering so it was fun for you or like what the background is there with your career and education. Sure. So, I mean, wow, this is getting really personal, but um, I was born the year my grandfather retired, and he was a biochemist. He was part of the Indian freedom struggle against the British, so uh, he was incredibly wow. well-educated. He did a stint in prison uh, as, as, a, as a Gandhian, so he was a strong Gandhian. He believed in nonviolence and, you know, that whole Gandhian way mm-hmm. of... Uh, fighting injustice. And so I was really close to him growing up. And uh, so these principles of community, truth, uh, civil disobedience, and, uh, you know, being your authentic self and fighting for what you believe in, that were really, really baked into me as much as uh, the focus on rationalism, on the scientific process, and uh, engineering, and like solving problems, like that's just the, that's just kind of the setting Mm-hmm. I grew up in, and um, I mean, engineering came easy to me. Like I had my own set of tools when I was like eight, nine years old, and I would I would fix people's appliances to earn money and like do what I wanted with it to get some pocket money. So I I grew up in that setting, but I really struggled with school because I just never fit into this whole rote memorization based system, and my handwriting sucked and. Um, <laughs> I mean, you grew up in Nigeria, right? So yes. you know what it's like when your handwriting sucks. <laughs> and that's what you are graded on. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the teachers would give you homework and you were expected to write these books. And I just never fu- saw the point of writing the books and doing the homework. 
And the question I would ask every teacher was, and then every professor when I was in college was, uh, do you know the answers to these questions? They, was, they would say, of course, I know everything. I know all these answers. And so my kind of rebuttal was, if you know the answers, why do you I want do. me to do it? <laughs> like, you go do it yourself. Mm -hmm. I was interested in things that we didn't know about. And so I really struggled through school. I struggled through engineering education. But I figured out how to take tests and how I would, like, pick up books. And wow. I would very quickly uh, learn the content needed to, to uh, you know, get a good score on the exam. But at the same time, I really enjoyed like science, working on science projects and creative writing and embroidery and building all kinds of things from robots to cardboard models. And that's where I think I learned the most uh, mm. all through my education. And that continued into grad school. That continued when I started working and building my program in humanitarian engineering or what I do with creative inquiry. I just learned from a lot of different places and I learn as I go when I see the point of learning something because that will help me solve a problem, help me do something that I truly deeply care about and I believe it's worth doing. My last question for you, as somebody who is so career focused and has done all these many, many amazing things, do you feel successful? In some respects, I do have a little bucket list of sorts. I put, I put it together about a year back in the middle of the COVID pandemic, which was a really good, really, you know, interesting wake-up call for many of us. Definitely it was for me. It was difficult in so many respects. I am really a traveler. Oh, I yeah. don't belong to any particular place. I really like to, you know, uh, be out and about, talking to real people, working with people and solving problems. And uh, it was a difficult time for me, and I did think about what are the kinds of things I want to accomplish before I die. And um, I think that work is only a one part of it. Yes. There are a whole bunch of other things that I care deeply about, whether it's uh, uh, you know, my, my children, their education, my wife, her happiness, her career. Uh, it's my, my goals when it comes to traveling and, uh, and experiencing all kinds of different things that life and the world has to offer. So am I successful in some respects? Yes, but I have miles to go before I sleep. I think there's a lot more to the world that I want to uh, understand, explore, and hopefully contribute to as well in a, in, a, in, a, in a humble but substantive manner. Yes, and you know, it's funny that you think of me as a very <laughs> career-focused person, which I might be, mm -hmm. Bonor, but I actually, for me, uh, personal, professional is really, really very interconnected. And there is no clear, this is personal, this is professional. Like, uh. You know, on my deathbed, I want to look back at my life and say, I did something meaningful and uh, I uh, had a good life and I left it a little better than I found it. So, yep. <laughs> Perfect way to end this. <laughs> interview any last words you want to leave us with no i think uh, you have a really difficult job ahead of you <laughs> because we got to some really complex constructs on making sure that mm. um, we do no harm which you know as, 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 as an again back to my one of my many identities as an engineer it is to do no harm it's like the fundamental canon as a fundamental professional kind of expectation and uh, part of our do code no of harm. ethics is do no harm. And so that's really, you know, we talked about that. We talked about 
creative inquiry programs and what they're about and uh yeah a little bit about who i am as a person so you have a tough job ahead <laughs> of you but i did enjoy chatting with you i enjoyed chatting with you too and i will try to enjoy the work i will i will and i can't wait for people to hear this i think there's a lot of value yeah. in our in our conversation today. you know there's all right well thank you so much <laughs> this has been kanjan meta from creative inquiry mountaintop initiative thank you so much for being on the show for everyone listening i'll be back again in two weeks and goodbye thanks for having me here bonor and goodbye Lehigh Insider will be back to you in two weeks. Catch us every other Friday on the Brown and White Spotify. Lehigh Insider is created by Bonor Ayambim and produced by the Brown and White with music produced by DJ Zen. Find Lehigh Insider on Instagram for bonus exclusive content at Lehigh Insider. And while you're there, follow the Brown and White at L.U. Brown White on Instagram. You can also visit our website at www.thebrownandwhite.com. This has been Benor Ayambem, and I will see you again in two weeks. Bye-bye.